So we're given tonight in the first reading what is undoubtedly one of the most challenging passages you're ever going to encounter in Scripture, where God says to Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice your son Isaac. And it'd be very naive to claim, well, let me explain to you what that means. And there are books that talk about it, different theologians and people have offered insight into it, and those are all fine, but I don't think we're ever going to fully get our minds and hearts around exactly what God is up to with that. But what we do know is on balance, this is not a cruel God. This is a God who on balance is very kind to Abraham. So whatever is going on there, ultimately, there's a mystery that we're meant to enter into. And I don't think you or I or anybody else should be too quick to say, well, I know that seems challenging, but here's what it really means. It's challenging. It's challenging for Abraham. It's challenging for us. I think it'll be challenging for as long as anyone reads that passage. That having been said, I think I can say without too much worry that you and I are not going to be asked to kill anybody by God. But what I can promise you is you will be challenged to banish the God who doesn't exist. At some point in your life, you'll be challenged to get rid of the God who doesn't exist. Now, I'm a big fan of God. I have all his books, so (laughs) don't misunderstand me. But when we grow up, a lot of times, not everyone here, I won't assume that, but I know I speak for myself, we often grow up with a God who doesn't exist. We learn lots of wonderful things about who God is and what God does, but in our little minds, and sometimes our not-so-little minds as we grow up and we carry kind of a childhood understanding, kind of a Santa Claus God, maybe. God is all good, God is all loving, God loves you, all of that is true, and therefore, you'll never know harm, you'll never know suffering, you'll get what you ask for. Because of course, that's what we want to give to someone to whom we can give as close to unconditional love as we can. And hopefully, hopefully we're able to provide that kind of loving, supportive environment. And it shouldn't surprise us that how we talk about God just goes right along with it. But we all know sooner or later in life, we realize that the Santa Claus God doesn't exist. And even if that sounds a little too much of a caricature, the God who couldn't possibly want me to have to deal with this hardship or that diagnosis or that failed relationship or that disappointment or that shame, not that God causes any of those things or God delights in them, but if we really want to love another, we have to allow them to live in freedom. That's the most loving way to be with another person. And I think that goes for God even in a more perfect way than it goes for us. And so the God who loves us unconditionally loves us with the possibility that we will at times have our hearts broken by one another. We will at times have to deal with lots of hardships and frustration and pain but we'll also deal with incredible love and gratitude and support, and all of that is together. But there can be times where it feels like this isn't the script I signed up for. 
This isn't what I grew up thinking God would be. If this is all God has to offer me, then why am I even bothering? So think about Abraham. It's one thing to say, oh, he's the great Abraham. Yes, this was challenging, but he passed the test. Think about for him how God changed through this encounter. Not that God changed, but his experience of God. It would be naive or overly pious, I think, to pretend that somehow in his own mind and heart, his insight into who God is wouldn't have changed through this incredibly intense encounter. And I'm not suggesting that he thought less of God after that. Quite the contrary. Read on in the book of Genesis. But you can't go through that with another person, even if it's a divine person especially if it's a divine person, without having your own understanding and perception of what that intimate relationship with God must be. That's not the God I used to know. It is and it isn't. And something there, even though Isaac's life was wonderfully spared, a imperfect understanding of who God was, was slain on that altar. And Abraham could never go back and pretend that he knew the same God in the same way again. And I think that's why the church gives us that powerful gospel of the transfiguration. Because there too, they go up the mountain with a Jesus they thought they knew and they come down with a very different understanding. And yet it's still a mystery. They're still trying to wrap their heads around what just happened there. No, they weren't given that gut-wrenching moment of what Abraham had to experience. But in no small way, they too had to wrestle with the idea, something that I thought I knew, I don't know anymore. And if we had just dragged our eyeballs a little bit up the page before where our gospel starts today, that's where Peter's world was rocked. Because Jesus said, I am going to suffer and die. And Peter couldn't accept it. That's not the Jesus he knew. That's not the Jesus he loved. That's not what his intimate relationship with this friend was supposed to look like. And almost right on the heels of that, they get this scene where once again, maybe a little exclamation mark, no, Peter, I'm not entirely the one you think I am. And that isn't because God, I think, is playing tricks with us or mind games. But think about this with the closest person in your life. Think about this with the person you most love who gets you as well as anybody else. In any deep friendship or marriage or parenting, any deep intimate relationship, there come moments where we realize you're not the person I thought you were. Now sometimes that can come with a disappointment, not always. But if we're able to step through that threshold, almost always the relationship is richer and deeper. And there's a maturity to the love that wasn't there before. And a lot of times that transition means I kind of held you on a pedestal or I held you in my own hand. I was inserting some control in this relationship because I wanted you to be who I wanted you to be. And I couldn't give you the freedom to be who you are. If we know what that looks like in our human relationships, I guarantee you that mistake can creep into our relationship with God. So maybe just a little spiritual exercise in this second week of Lent. 
and maybe reflect on over the course of your spiritual life. Have you had moments like that where God just didn't quite live up to the script that you had been handed or you had written? How are you doing with that? Sometimes we cling, we hold on to that false understanding because it gives us a kind of comforting control. But ultimately, it leaves us with a spiritual dryness. It can be really frightening to banish the God who doesn't exist. But if we really want to savor and grow into and mature with and be supported by a love like we've never known before, if we really want to be with a God who does exist, we've got to walk down the mountain from the other side. There's no other way to get there.